standing for the reading of the Word of God, would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Joshua, Joshua in chapter 24. If time wasn't an issue, I'd like to read all of chapter 23 and chapter 24 seriously, but we will forego the seven, ten minutes of reading to read those two chapters and read just two summation verses, verses 14 and 15 of chapter 24, famous verses, and since we only have two verses, there are long verses, but they are also famous verses. We'll read them in unison this morning as opposed to responsively. And so again, that's Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, and we'll read in unison. Ready? Begin. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you might speak to Christians that have heard this verse, these verses hundreds of times, that you might speak to them afresh and anew. Lord, for those that are hearing these words for the very first time, I pray that you speak to hearts as well. May you receive all the glory and may you strengthen our families. We'll thank you for it. We pray you bless in the preaching of thy word now. We ask once again in Jesus' name, for his sake, amen. amen. You may be seated. Joshua 24. I need to get right into things here, but I just want to summarize by saying this is the tenth and final message on me and my real family. We've looked at nine previous messages, just in soundbite form. We looked at our first message back in September, the family for people without a family, and I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, and uh, everyone has a family here. Every Christian should have a family and a local church assembly. Then we looked at the second message we titled Family, Building on the Right Foundation, not on our own foundation, but the foundation of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. We looked at our third message entitled Family Values. And not again on our values, not personal values, but God's values found in the Bible. We looked at the fourth message entitled Jacob's Dirty Dozen. And the, the dirty, one of the dirtiest families in the whole world became the family that has blessed the entire world. And of course, I'm referring to the, the sons of Israel, of course, the sons of Jacob. And uh, God can take uh, broken vessels and use them for his glory, and that's an encouragement. We looked at a fifth message entitled, Everybody Needs to Be a Father, Including Ladies, as well. And we're created by our Heavenly Father to be fathers, mentors, and coaches, and, and uh, helpers to others around us, whether it be our literal children or others. We had a sixth message entitled, Rulebook Parents, Parents and No Heart Children. And we looked at the life of Samson. And uh, then we looked at a seventh message entitled, All Families Are Not Equal. We looked at Solomon's family, and uh, all families are not created equal. There's a God's design for a family, and then man's uh, perversion of family. We looked at an eighth message entitled, The Blessings of Covenant Families, and we'll be touching on that in just a few seconds from now. And last week, we looked at dealing with prodigal children and grandchildren, and... Uh, and everybody, we have a little bit of prodigal in all of us, as in the prodigal son and the prodigal father we looked at. He lavishly, extravagantly forgives us of our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness and gives us grace or mercy and grace. 
gives us, delivers us from hell and gives us heaven too. He's prodigal in that respect, and we looked at that last week. Our text again this morning is Joshua 24, 14, and 15. The background to the text begins in chapter 23. I just want you to glance at verse 2 for time's sake of chapter 23. Just turn your page in your Bible. Look at verse number 2. This event is called a covenant ceremony. A covenant ceremony. Joshua calls all of Israel together, it says, and Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their, their heads and for their judges and for their officers. This is like a State of the Union address. All of Congress was there. And he said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. Later on in chapter 24, we find that Joshua dies at 110. It's at the end of this book of victory. Joshua is the book of victory. And he begins, he calls the whole assembly together again. If you just glance for time's sake at chapter 24, verse 1, you find a verse very similar to what we just read in chapter 23, 2. Some theologians believe this was a two-day event. So in way of background to the verses 14 and 15 of chapter 24, Understand that, the, that there was a covenant ceremony that included four parts. Just read it for yourself and find out these four parts. We find, first of all, in chapter 23, there's, there was a recitation of, of history of God's goodness to the children of Israel. And everybody here, whether you know it or not, God has been good to you and been good to your family. And we need to recite our history, be reminded of our history, how good God's been to us in all God's people said. And then secondly, we see in this covenant ceremony obligations to the covenant or obligations to the promise or the contract or the, 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 uh, again, the covenant, the promise, the sacred vow. And then we see thirdly, blessings that come from being faithful through it. And fourthly, Joshua summarizes the consequences of not being faithful to this covenant. And we've talked a lot about covenant families I just have two points this morning, two points to our message, real simple, and I want to notice in Joshua's life, and the, the, the question what we want to address this morning is, is how to have your family be blessed by God. How to have your family be blessed by God. Now, many of you have probably doormats on your porch, front porch, or some of you have a placard on your front, front of your house by your door, and it has part of the verse, Joshua 24 and verse number 15 Many of you know it. Some of you can recite at least part of the verse. Notice what it says again in verse 15, our text verse, of course, Joshua 24. And if it seem evil, Joshua is summarizing. He's coming to the end of this covenant ceremony. He says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. And then we usually skip down on those placards or those... Uh, those, uh, that, that, that floor mat there or what have you where we have these words, we get to the end of the verse and it says, but as for me and my house, help me out. We will serve the Lord. You see, it was a covenant promise. I want to give you first of all this morning here, as with Joshua, you want your family to be blessed by God. And I trust that everybody here wants to have your family blessed by God. You'd be a fool not to want your family to be blessed by God. Well, it begins in just one of two things. First of all, it begins with make your choice. Make your choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. I do believe the Bible teaches free will. I do believe that the Bible teaches whosoever will. The Bible teaches choice. 
And you have a choice before you. You had a choice whether you came to church or not this morning. You chose to obviously come. Other people chose not to come. They, they made a choice for one reason or another. But Joshua made a choice. He said, as for me, I want you to know several things about that choice. First of all, that the choice that Joshua made that became a great blessing to his family, first of all, it was a personal choice. A personal choice. Now, I want to encourage every one of you this morning in, your room, in this, this room this morning, this, we call it a sanctuary, to make a personal choice to serve the Lord come what may. To make a personal choice to serve the Lord, even if somebody that sits next to you, and I don't, don't, don't look over to your person to the left or right, especially your spouses, even if they don't choose to serve the Lord, you've got to make that personal choice. Joshua said singularly, but as for me... I will serve the Lord. You've got to decide yourself that you're going to serve the Lord. You've got to decide that if nobody else in your family lives for Christ, that you're going to live for Christ. I wouldn't ask this morning, but some of you have Christian family members. Some of you have non-Christian family members. Many of us have non-Christian family members, but there are those that claim to live for the Lord, but they never attend the house of God. They never, they never show that they're truly Christians. You have to make a choice yourself. Joshua, in one way, was taunting them. And we see this later on in this chapter where he said, they said, we will serve the Lord. And, they said, and Joshua said, no, you won't. He's, he's taunting them in, in, a, in, a, in a persuasive way, to a motivating way to do right. But if you want your family to be blessed by God, it begins with a choice. And that choice is a personal choice. But I would submit to you that Joshua's choice, maybe he was 110 years of age at this time of this writing, or he was definitely an old man, the Bible says, that Joshua's choice that he made was a previous choice. And for me, I have to, I create my messages from my own dirt, if you will. We're made of dirt, and I have my own personal illustrations, my own, and I've said it many times, I did not grow up in a Christian home my mother called me this morning for her weekly phone call, of course, and we talked, but I grew up in a home that was not a Christian home. We didn't do church and so forth, but God got a hold of my heart as an older teenage boy, and it was, it was an evolution of sorts. I was going to go into the Marine Corps. Many of you heard my stories many times, and I don't want to bore you with the details, but then a preacher came my senior year of high school, and he mentioned that every, he used the Mormons, I'll never forget it. He used the Mormons as an illustration. He said, Mormons give two years of their life to their church. How much more should God's people, true Christians, give their life to the Lord for a year or two? And his postulate was that every young person ought to go off to Bible college for one year. Now, I'm not suggesting that every young person has to go off to Bible college for one year, but it was a good recommendation. And it, took, and it spoke to my heart. And so the Lord allowed me to go to college for one year and and to make a long story short, there was a progressive series of events that took place in my life from the year 16, 17, 18, 19 years of age into 20, where God worked in my heart. And each time I said, I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to live for the Lord. It was a previous choice. Joshua said and when he was 40 years of age and even younger, at some point, if we were to go back to Numbers 11 and study the history of Joshua, this is some 60, 70 years after the fact. He had already made a choice as a young person, per se. We go to Numbers chapter 11, we see Joshua and Caleb in the story of the 12 spies. Most of you know it. And they made a choice. He went along with Caleb. He said, we we, we well able to overcome it, to, to take the land, the land of giants. Many of you know the story, of course. 
And it was a personal choice, a previous choice. And so it was easy for him in, in chapter 24, verse 14, at the end of his life, to give this choice to this per, these people, this personal choice that he had made many years ago. Did you make a choice many years ago to live for the Lord? Did you make uh, a series of addendums on top of that uh, over the years as God worked in your heart? It was a personal choice. It was a previous choice. But this choice that was a blessing to his family, it would, I would have to say it was a, a parental choice. Because he said, as for me in my house. So as I was preparing for this message, it dawned on me. I said, I don't think Joshua is recorded of his children in the Bible. And sure enough, so I researched it, and there's no children recorded in the Bible. He said, as for me and my house, well, he said it. There must have been a, he must have had family members. He must have had a household. Nothing is mentioned about his wife. So I researched a little bit further and went to the Jewish Talmud. It's not scripture, but it's a Jewish historic, and this is, this is history, this is tradition, whether it's true or not. I'll let you be the judge. I prefer to think that it probably, certainly, they were Jews very accurate in their genealogies and their history. And there's a lot of history that's not recorded in the Bible, of course. But, uh, but the Talmud suggests that, um, postulates that uh, Joshua married Rahab, as in Rahab the harlot. Now, whether that's true or not, I do not know. But we know that Rahab is in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then from the Talmud, not the Bible, so this is conjecture, this, could, this is open for debate, I admit it. But he said, as for me and my house, he must have had some family members. According to the Talmud, he didn't have any, Joshua never had any sons. Uh, according to the Talmud, he only had daughters. So I just took a personal pleasure in that as I just learned that for the first time this week. I said, hey, Joshua is like me. He didn't have any sons. He only had daughters. And they think... Tamud for the last time. They think his daughters, daughter or daughters, were the uh, posterity or the, the, the maternal, uh, the, the, the mothers, or rather the great-grandmothers, great-great-grandmother of Hulda, the prophetess that we read about in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 14. All according to the Jewish Talmud, whether it's true or not. All that I know is my Bible does tell me, Joshua said, as for me and my house, he must have had some relatives. He must have had some. If he didn't have any daughters, he had some sons, he had daughters. And so my point is that this choice to live for God was not only a personal choice, a previous choice, but it was a parental choice. I think that Joshua, at one point or another, got his wife on board with this thing, we're going to serve the Lord. And so it was a... It was a parental choice, but then letter D, we've got to keep the P's going, so it was a paternal choice. It was a fatherly choice. Now, ladies, you can cross out that P and put an M there, because if your husband doesn't live for the Lord, or maybe you're, you were married and you're single now, what have you, or widowed or divorced, whatever the case is, you can make it a maternal choice. You see, there's no excuses, ladies. There's no excuses, gentlemen. If your wife doesn't live for the Lord, you can still choose to live for God. If uh, you're a woman, you can still choose to live for the Lord, even if your husband doesn't want to. So it's, in this case, Joshua's case, it was a paternal choice. And fathers are to be, fathers, uh, as the fathers were to be a father of prayer, number one. Fathers are to be fathers of prayer. In Job chapter one, we read about Job. Of course, he prayed for his children in Job one, verse five. And I quote part of the verse. 
And Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. We think he had 10 children. And so he offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said that it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Job prayed for his family faithfully every day, evidently. The Bible says he prayed continually. A father, fathers are to be a father of prayer. But not only a father of prayer, but a father of purpose. The Bible says Daniel, and we looked at Daniel a few weeks ago in the light of, uh, we think, and once again, we don't know this for a fact, but we think that Daniel might have had, was, was made a eunuch. And uh, let, most of you know what that re, re, re means. We see nothing about Daniel's lineage. That he obviously was never married, never had children. And, uh, but Daniel purposed in his heart, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. And he had a purpose, and he said, I will not defile myself. Father, say, I'm going to do everything I can to not defile, have my family defiled in any way. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to have a purpose for them. I'm going to state that purpose. And I'm getting ahead of myself in part of the, the message in a few minutes from now. But then good fathers are like Joshua that determined to make the choice, a personal choice, a previous choice, and a parental choice uh, to live for the Lord they make this paternal choice to have patience. Oh, how we need to have patience for our, our teenagers and our kids. Sometimes we want to wring their neck, you know. Sometimes we want to, we want to uh, you know, uh, Mark Twain said, you know, when kids turn, when they go from 12 to 13, put them in a box, and or put them in a box until they're 12, and when they're 13, plug the, plug the hole, of course, you know. And uh, we don't want to do that, but we have to have patience towards our kids, I want to give you, this is, wait, this, none of this is on your worksheet, none of it's on the screen, but just listen to me for a moment here. I stole this from another pastor. He said I didn't have to give him credit, so I won't give him credit. But uh, this is 10 ways to blow it as a father. Just listen. Uh, you won't be able to write down fast enough to listen to no shorthand. But way number 10, counting down from 10 to 1. First way to, be, to, to blow it as a father is to have fights in front of your children. Then when guests come and turn around and act affection toward one toward another <laughs> and uh, have fights in front of your children. Number nine, stifle your children's questions by saying, don't bother me now, I'm busy. Never have time for your children, in other words. Number eight, the best way to ruin your children, of course, is to one of the eight, eight, ten top ways is to take no interest in your children's friends. Let them run around with whomever they choose. The Bible says, and Amnon had a friend. And uh, we read in Bibles that, uh, the Bible of several people that had the wrong type of friends and it led to their destruction. Father that uh, wants to destroy his child or doesn't have patience for his child and wants to, doesn't have neglect towards his child. Number seven is never discipline your children. Try to use psychology instead. Use psychology instead of bibliology, instead of theology. We've got a lot of, lot of variants of psychology out there. A lot of newfangled ways to raise our children. And uh, we, you know, which one of the 2,000 plus schools of psychology do you want to use to ruin, to help your child, I should say, and I'm being facetious, it might ruin them. So never discipline your children biblically. Use psychology and try to, try to use introspection and try to reason to their, to their rationale instead of just using the word of God. Number six, 
nag them about their schoolwork, never compliment them on their achievements. Number five, the best way for a father to ruin his child is to demonstrate your love for them with material things. Give them everything their little hearts desire. When they turn 16, give them a new car. When they turn 12, give them an iPod. When they turn 10, give them the cell phone, uh, whatever the case. I didn't write this, by the way. I'm taking this from another preacher, so if you don't like this, blame him, okay? Number four, he says, never discuss the facts of life with them. Instead, let them learn about procreation with their friends, public school, from, from their friends, pardon me, from their public school or from pornographic literature. Number three, never let your kids know that you are praying for them. Praying for our children privately and publicly with them is a big deal. And we see that in several fathers in the Bible, Abraham, and we just quoted Job just moments ago as well. Secondly, number two of the reasons why we, how we can ruin our kids as fathers, absolutely, absolutely refuse to believe if you are told that your children have done something wrong, or refuse to believe it, pardon me, if you are told that your children have done something wrong. There used to be in a day in school, and these days are so far gone. I mean, I'm going back to my childhood days. It seemed to me that there used to be a day when, when parents always believed the teacher over their students or over their children. Now today, we almost automatically believe our children over our, the, their superior. Be careful about that. Your, you know, you, you know, your teachers may be liars, but children may be liars too. That includes your children and my children as well. And as hard as it is me for to say this, even my grandchildren, because <laughs> we wicked go straight from the womb as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Psalm says, "Don't always believe your children. Believe the uh, you might want to believe the authority." Number one, again, don't get mad at me. I didn't write this. I'm just quoting it. Last one is let your children make their own choices in the matter of religion. Be careful not to influence them in any way. And of course, he's being facetious. We command, we, we, you know, we say that, uh, you know, well, I don't want to affect my children. I want to make them their own decision. So your children don't want to go to school Monday morning. Let them have their way, right? They don't want to eat tomorrow. Uh, let them have their way, right? They want to eat all junk food, right? They want, to, they, want, they want to sleep in tomorrow, right? And so let them have their way. We don't do that with anything else. Why do we do that with church? Why would we do that with bringing, up, bringing them up in the things of the Lord? And so, we uh, paternal parents, we pray, our fathers would pray with our children, have purpose with our children, patience with our children, but fourthly, play with them. Good fathers play with their children. The preacher Gordon MacDonald, some of you heard of him, he's a famous author. He tells in one of his books the story of a famous preacher that he calls him by name, that was raised by an unregenerated father. And one day his unsaved father took him on, his son on this, this would-be someday famous preacher, he took him on an all-day fishing trip. And the son, for many years after, as he grew up and got gloriously saved and became a famous preacher, he looked to his childhood days and he looked at the greatest day with his father was that one day that he went fishing with his daddy. And it was always a fond memory in his heart. His daddy later on died they found his diary, and he was going through his diary, and he wrote, he came to the day where, he, when he was a little boy, his dad took him fishing, and the diary recorded, took son fishing, dot, 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 wasted day. And you see, the father thought that day was a wasted day, because he spent all day long, instead of at work or wherever he was supposed to be at, 
with his son, but his son had the most fondest memories of that day. Uh, I hate to, a couple of my personal illustration on top of that negative illustration, but I'll do it anyhow. Kristen was telling me the other day of uh, an event. She said, Daddy, remember when we went on this trip, wherever we went? I can't remember the trip we went on. And she says, and we were at so and such a place, and something, something happened, and it was always so funny. I couldn't remember. I says, honey, I can't remember what happened last week, let alone 10, 15, 20 years ago when you were a kid. I'm sorry. She says, oh, Dad, how can you forget that? She was just she was enthralled by that one thing. And it's important that we spend time with our kids and, and play with them. And I think Joshua, if he uh, had those daughters of his, that he, he took time out to play with them even. And then number five, good fathers. Our fathers that are uh, fathers of praise. Ephesians 6, 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I love this story, and I've never told my dad this story, but uh, I, I played a lot of baseball growing up as a kid, of course, and I remember played, you know, farm team, then little league, and then senior league, we called it, that's 13, 14, and 15. And uh, most of the time, when, when I was 15, I played the outfield. So once in a while, first base, but I was too short, so they usually stuck me out in the outfield. So wasn't I was a lefty, and so it was good on first base, but but not tall. So anyhow, uh, but once in a blue moon, they had me because I wasn't a fast pitcher, but I was an accurate pitcher, and so I'd come in for relief pitching for once in a while. And so I was 15, I was pitching. And I only pitched an inning or two because I was a relief type pitcher at best, and I wasn't even that good a pitcher. But I got a couple guys out, I had a strikeout or two, whatever. And uh, my dad said to me. And I never told him this in all these years. So it, was, it was 45 years ago. He said to me, Marty, you did a great job out there pitching. I never forgot that. It was uh, to this day, when I think of that, I have thoughts. I remember as a young person how proud that made me feel that dad was out in the outfield and he came to my ball game and watched me pitch and said something praiseful. Good fathers understand this and they make that choice. This choice that, that Joshua made that percolated, if I can use another P word, down to his family. It was a personal choice, a previous choice, a parental choice, a paternal choice. But then I want you to notice it was a permanent choice. What do you mean by that, preacher? I could say it this way. I had to keep the peace going. It was non-negotiable. It was a non-negotiable choice. You see, we're talking about family, and, and uh, I never want to hurt. But when we made those marriage vows... Do you promise to have and hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for sickness and health and poverty and wealth, for thinking all others keep the only unto the fee as long as you both shall live? Do you so promise? Pardon me for going fast. We say, I do. It's a covenant. It's a vow. We call it the vows. And I know that we're prone to break our covenants. I understand that. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm just saying... Joshua made a covenant. He made a promise. But as for me, I don't care what you do, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was a permanent promise. It was a promise that he reaffirmed every day of his life. And we'll get to that here in a few moments here as tail end of the message. But then it was a persuasive choice, letter F. His goal was to encourage others to do the same. I've been preaching for 26 minutes now, if I, that's about right. My whole goal, every time I preach, really, the goal is to preach, first of all, to Christians. There may be unsaved people in the sound of my voice this morning here, and God wants to be saved. 
the Spirit of God can work on your heart, but this is a message to Christians. This is a message to Christian families. My goal is to be persuasive and say, I want you to understand it's a good thing to choose to live for the Lord. It's a blessed thing. There's blessings to live for the Lord. There's curses if you don't. And Joshua knew it, so he made a choice. And so if you want your family to be blessed of God, make your choice. But then secondly and finally this morning, point number two of only two, make your plan. Make a plan. And make the plan, the Bible plan. You see verse 14, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord. There's your plan. And serve him. There's your plan. How? In sincerity. There's your plan. And in truth. Not how you think you should serve him, but according to the word of God. And put away. Separate from the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood. And in Egypt, get away from the world. Egypt is always a picture of the world. And serve you the Lord. Make your plan. Three things about that. Number one, publicize it. Publicize it. Uh, go tell everybody uh, that song. Uh, oh, go tell it on the mountain. Tell, your, tell, your, tell everyone your intentions. Tell everyone that you plan on living for the Lord. I've said it my own way. This is Marty Schott's way from the pulpit here that I get to say because I'm the preacher, so I get to say it's there. But uh, that I, I'm going to, I'd rather live for the Lord. I'd rather die than not live for the Lord. If I ever get out of church, if I ever get out of serving the Lord, I want God to kill me. I've said that publicly many dozens, maybe hundreds of times. I mean that. That's, I mean that with every fiber of my being. I would never say for you to say that if you don't mean it. It's a pretty audacious thing to say. You say, preacher, I'm not making a vow. I'm telling, I, I'm telling you in front of you all again for the umpteenth, hundredth time, it seems like. I want God to kill me if I ever backslide and get away from the house of God, from the things of God. I don't want to live. And Marty Schott says, amen. I don't want to live because I've made a covenant with my God. And it's important to me. And I don't ever want to retract on my, co- my contract, my covenant, my promise, my vow. Publicize it. I want my family to live for the Lord. I make jokes. I always like doing this with some of you, especially more than others, you know. But, uh, you know, I've always said that said it so many times. Some of you, it, 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 makes you, it makes you feel uncomfortable, but I like it anyhow, so I say it again. You know, I like money, you know. And I, I like a lot of money. And uh, I always said, you know, I wish I had a millionaire in my family. I got to think about it years ago. And I said, why have a millionaire? Why not a billionaire? <laughs> why not have a hundred millionaire? The more money, the better. And I know money can corrupt. I know all the negatives. I get it. I understand. But, but uh, I still would like to have money. And Marty Schott says, amen. I like money. But I don't want money to take me away from the things of God. I want my family to have money. I want them to have a lot of money. But they probably never will have a lot of money. But we're all rich in one sense because we're all Americans. We're all rich because we're in Christ. We're all, we're all rich. We're not filthy rich. We're holy rich. But more than money, more than material blessings, more than anything this world can offer, I want my children, most of all, most, most, everything, most important thing in all the world, I want them to know Christ is Savior. I want them to live for the Lord, period, end of story. Whether they have the lousiest of educations or the best of educations, I want them to live for the Lord. Whether they have the lowest scale paid job or the highest scale paid job, I want them to live for the Lord. Publicize it. Dan, Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Publicize it. Promote it. Let her be. 
Notice he said, notice the emphasis, we will serve the Lord. And then letter C, personalize it. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? We will serve the Lord, Joshua was saying, if necessary, even by ourselves. I don't want to get negative on what's intended to be a positive message. But I talked to many preachers over the course of the years in not only in New England, around America, and by and large, now there are exceptions, of course, there are certainly many growing churches across America, don't misunderstand me, but by and large, Christianity is shrinking in America, church attendance is shrinking in America. Our churches are not getting larger, they're getting smaller, and millennials, I'm not trying to hurt you at all, and uh, we got some millennials that are serving God. But this millennial conundrum, to use my expression, I can't seem to be able to crack that in every preacher I, I know. We can't somehow inculcate into our younger generation the desire and the need to covenant and live every day of their life for the Lord. It's hard to do that. And millennials, I'm not picking on you. I'm just trying to help you. But personalize it. And let me give you four particulars. Sonia, I asked her for some critiquing the other day, and she says, uh, you need to make your messages simpler. And uh, she said, you need to understand what you're saying. And then she says, and quit crediting your, your ver- Bible verses like rapid fire. You, people can't even understand what you're saying. And so I'm going to slow down and try to be particular. Okay, so four simple points on purpose on how to personalize this goal, this plan of yours to live for the Lord. Number one, and it's as simple as I can make it. First particular, present the gospel to your children. Present the good news to your children. Our children need to come to know Christ as Savior. This is not a covenant or a reformed church. This is a church that believes that a choice needs to be made, that you need to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that there must call upon the name of the Lord, that there must be a punctiliar, I like that word, point in time where you, just like you went to the altar and you said, I do to your spouse. There's a time when you come to the 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 cross of Calvary, and you kneel at Calvary's cross, and you say, Lord, I give my life to you. I ask that you save me. We, we, we are born again. We need to teach our children the need to be born again. I have to be careful here, but I'll just, you know, again, I'll be loose of on purpose, but we had one particular family in our church that I know of that they, they served with us here for a period of time here. They were in our church body. They were, once upon a time, they were Baptists. Today, they're Presbyterians. I'm not bashing Presbyterians, but I'm just telling you why they're Presbyterians now. They went covenant in their theology. They went reformed in their theology. You say, preacher, you're losing me. Okay, let me make it real simple. They got to the point in their mind that either you're, everybody's either elect or not elect and you can't do anything about it. And so they don't even tell their children now. They have several children. They don't tell their children how to be born again because if they're going to be born again, they're going to be born again regardless whether we tell them or not. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We must tell them how to be saved. We must give them the gospel. We must tell them, and there is an accountability. He will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. We need to tell our children how to be saved at a young age. I'm just curious. I'm going to do this. This is, this is astounding to me. I got saved at the ripe old age of 11 years of age, old enough, old enough to know I was a sinner. Anybody get saved at five years of age? I know there's some people. Yeah, that's what I thought. Some of you kids that grew up in Christian homes. What a blessing. Four, I start wondering. You know, I've got to be honest with you, but I've heard even some four-year-olds. Three-year-olds, forget about it. Four-year-olds, I don't know. I'm a suspect. 
But at a point in time, at a young age, the Bible says the disciples came to Jesus, Lord, who is to be the greatest kingdom of heaven? And you know the story. Jesus brought a little child and sent him on a lap and said, except you be converted and become as a little child. The gospel is simple enough for a child to understand it. Number two, the second particular in your plan that you personalize for your family is present yourselves every week in church. Now, most of you will present yourselves every Monday morning for work. You'll have your children present themselves every Monday morning for school. Present yourselves every week in church. Make it a priority in your life. Oh, I, I'm looking at the clock. I'd like to spend more time with that, but let me go on number three. Pray persistently for your family. Continually pray for your family. Pray, and by the way, as we said, I think it was last week or the week before last, this is no guaranteed proof formula that if you live for the Lord, that your family will automatically live for the Lord. They may not live for the Lord. And if they do not, you know, Lord gave, Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, Job said, yet will I trust in him. You live for God anyhow because you personalized it. You said, no matter who lives for the Lord, as for me, I know I'm going to personally live for the Lord. So you just start right there. Start with yourself and keep on praying. Number four, practice today, not, not preach today, but practice today what you preach tomorrow. You see, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Did I say that right? I think so. People are looking at your walk more than your talk, especially your family. So practice today what you intend to be able to preach tomorrow. Children live for God. It's worth it. Now let's go to the last little punchline of the message here. And we all know this phrase. You can fill in the blank with me here. Don't fill in the blanks yet because I got some extra blanks for you, some addendums, some, some additions to this, this partial three-quarters truth. And you know the, 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 the regular quip. Yeah, that's right. The family that prays together stays together. But I want to go a little step further quickly. The family that prays together perspires together. I like that. Perspires together or works together. And we need to teach our children how to work and, and, uh, and that life isn't free, that uh, we work together, we, we worship together, we we, uh, we play together, we do everything together, but we, there's, there's work that needs to be done. And we, it takes work to serve the Lord. It takes perspiration. Then I want you to know that the family that prays together, perspires together, praises together, praises together. I don't know if it's on the screen all the way yet or no. That's okay. Uh, okay. Oh, take it off the screen. Take it off quick. Take, take it off. Take it off. I was going to... You didn't see that, right? Yeah, so you saw it. Promises together. You see, it's a covenant. We will serve the Lord. We promise we're going to serve the Lord. And there's another P in there that I didn't put in there, but I wanted to give you, I'm almost done. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Tuesday was our Thanksgiving Eve service. Thursday, obviously, was the big day. Many countries don't have Thanksgiving, as you know. America does. Canada has, I think it's November 5th. But we have a particular day to give thanks. And we owe it to those pilgrims, those funny pilgrims from four, 398 years ago. And uh, I've been there a number of times. Our church has been there on a field trip, of course. And uh, we've been by the Mayflower House, which is about 100 yards from the shore, from the rock. Some of you know what I'm talking about. 
And you can't go in that Mayflower house or that, that Pilgrim house, rather, I guess it's called, or Pilgrim's Foundation house, something like that, unless you're a direct descendant and you can prove your lineage to those 42 pilgrims on, that landed on Plymouth Rock. You say, wow, it must be an exclusive group. Yeah, it's an exclusive group of about 35 million Americans. 35 million Americans can trace their lineage all the way back to the pilgrims. Now, I want you to think about it. And I, we took um, Ed Hannis and his wife, Lori Hannis slash Eddie. Eddie. Uh, Lori was a direct, it was one of those direct descendants. Her great, 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 great grandparents were on the Mayflower. And she can prove her lineage. And we, they're from Iowa. And we took them out to, uh, to Plymouth Rock. And I want you to see this, and I want to take more time to develop this, but what I'm trying to say is there's a posterity. I was out in Indiana a few months ago with Brother Phipps' church, and, and we saw a posterity. We saw a lot of old people in this church of several hundred people, and their parents had grown up in church, and their grandparents had grown up in church, and their great-grandparents had grown up in church and had served the Lord all the days of their life. Now they're in their 70s and 80s years of age, and they're fourth and fifth and sixth generation Christians. And I said all that to say, the family that prays together, perspires together, praises together, and promises together, not on the worksheet, will have a posterity together for generations to come. You see, what you do, the decisions you make now, will determine not just your family's destiny, in many cases, decision determines destiny, but to determine your posterity for even generations, even it's hard to comprehend this, for centuries to come, if the Lord tarries in his coming. It's important that you live for now, for the Lord. If 400 years, Terry, you may have 35 million offspring. It's important that you live right now and you set the tone and the precedence. You make a covenant and you do right. And you that do that, you will stay together and you already saw the word, what's the fill in the blank word? Oh, you didn't get it. One more time, one last time. The family that prays together, perspires together, praises together, and promises together will, I could insert, one day stay together Forever. You can put it back on the screen. Forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will what? Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Though, you know, we can't take anything from this world to heaven with us, but we can take our family to heaven with us and live with them forever and ever and ever. What a day that will be. Until then, may we be found faithful to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray a prayer blessing on every family that's represented in this room. I pray for every father that they would make a personal choice, beginning with themselves, to live for you. Every mother, the same. I pray for every child. Lord, I pray for our prodigals, and there's many. Lord, we confess we're far from perfect families. In fact, we're very flawed. We thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your opportunity to recommit, maybe to commit for the first time. Maybe there's someone that needs to be saved this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this morning. This message has been geared primarily to Christians, but Lord, if there be one here that needs to receive Christ as Savior, Holy Spirit of God, do what only you can do in their heart. May they see their need to be saved today. Blessing these last moments of invitation, we pray, and we ask this in Jesus' name.